Hello. So today I'm going to do a little reading of my latest piece on Substack, which was actually published not on my Substack, but on Matthew Giannorio's uh, Substack magazine, A Further Inquiry, and which I cross-posted to my Substack. Uh, the link to the original uh, location of the article is uh, down below. So, without further ado, and actually uh, forgive uh, any strange noises you might hear. Uh, my stomach is being a bit uh, strange at the moment, making strange noises. Uh, uh, as if I'm hungry, but actually I've just eaten, so that's strange. But uh, anyway, just ignore that if you can hear it. Maybe that's Maybe I shouldn't even have mentioned it if it doesn't get picked up on this audio, but uh, there you go. A little insight into Daniel's digestive system for you. Don't tell me I don't treat you sometimes. Right, here we go. On the necessity of enlightenment. In 1784, Immanuel Kant defined enlightenment as, quote, man's emergence from his self-imposed immaturity, end quote. While there are many ways to look at the period we call the Enlightenment, and many more ways in which it has been defined, Kant's words have always struck me as a succinct description of what is at the very heart of what we now call Enlightenment values. Historical arguments about the period and the many follies of its thinkers aside, Kant's conception of Enlightenment is universal. In those few words he summarised the struggle of humanity, in all times and in all places, to better itself. Kant's idea of enlightenment contains, or implies, most of the other ideas we associate with the period. Reason, individualism and free inquiry above all. And these are the principles that have only recently come to be seen as essential to civilization. The triumph of the enlightenment led to the great progress we have seen in the past few hundred years. Without the enlightenment, modern ideas of democracy and freedom would be unthinkable. This is not to say that people before the Enlightenment were mere serfs. No, many of them fought for what we would now call Enlightenment values, even if they often fought in vain. This is an important distinction. I said above that Kant's Enlightenment ideal describes a universal struggle, and indeed it does, but modern progress is a result of the Enlightenment as a historical period. Stephen Pinker has amply shown this in his book Enlightenment Now. Enlightenment values in themselves, on the other hand, in one form or another, long precede that period. Indeed, however imperfect such civilizations were, and however much it galls strict historians to use terminology in this way, I think one could legitimately say that, for example, the ancient Athenian democracy or Al-Andalus at its height were defined by Enlightenment ideals. And that leads me to another important point. Enlightenment values are not Western. They may well have found their most advanced form in the West, but such things as secularism and freedom of speech have been and are being fought for by people all across the world. And the ideas of the Enlightenment can be traced back to medieval Muslim freethinkers and ancient Greeks. Forgive me for quoting myself at length, but I've made this point before, in an ARIO magazine review of Ibn Warwick's book, Leaving the Allah Delusion Behind, Atheism and Freethought in Islam. Quotes. 
In the book's middle section, Warwick details how, through a complex chain of European philosophers and thinkers, the medieval Muslim Ibn Rushd's philosophy came to inspire Spinoza, most notably through Ibn Rushd's idea that philosophy and theology represent different but equally valid spheres of truth, which, taken to its logical endpoint by more radical thinkers, ends up with theology being demolished by and replaced with philosophy. If Warwick is correct, and if the historian Jonathan Israel is right to state that Spinoza was the originator of radical Enlightenment modernity, then Ibn Rushd, also known as Averroes, is an even more influential figure in world history than previously thought. Add to this the fact that medieval Arab and Muslim freethinking literature influenced many Enlightenment infidels. Medieval Muslim Bible criticism influenced the much later biblical critics of Europe, for example. And we can say that rebellion against Islam helped Europe rebel against Christian orthodoxy. This was a multicultural secular triumph. From ancient Greece to Islam to the Jewish heretic Spinoza's inauguration of Enlightenment in Christian Europe, this is a much more beautiful form of multiculturalism than the version so common today, wherein faith and culture groups clamour for ever more exemptions from secular morality. End quote. Even now, of course, the Enlightenment and its values are still viciously contested by people across the political spectrum. In many places, particularly in totalitarian and theocratic states like China and Iran, they are utterly suppressed. Kant knew that Enlightenment was nowhere near complete in his own day, and that it would be a long and arduous process to fully realise its promise. We have not yet done that, but we have come a very long way. Kant's definition of enlightenment and the universal human struggle can be expressed very simply as both the desire and the attempt to be free. This means freedom from tribe and faith and orthodoxy of all kinds. It means the freedom to write and speak and live as one pleases. It means the freedom to love. Kant noted that many of our shackles are created by ourselves. For as much as we have the potential for nobility, we are also animals, and all the ancient cruel stupidities will forever be with us. It is the task of enlightenment to constrain these stupidities and to enlarge our capacity for nobility. So whether one is a socialist or a conservative or a centrist or anything else, one should be committed to upholding the principles of the enlightenment. However differently we interpret those ideas, however differently we conceptualise their realisation, Enlightenment values must be the starting point, and it is crucial to stand up for those values now. This is the age of Trump and Orban and Putin, the age of left-wing identity politics, the age of Ayatollah Khamenei and Xi Jinping, the age of Islamism and Jihadism, in short, an age where Enlightenment ideals are being challenged on all sides. However milquetoast such simple ideas as individual freedom, secularism, free speech and so on might sound, they are among the most radical proposals humanity has ever set forth, and thus also among the most opposed. They are, to borrow Greg Lukianoff's phrase, eternally radical ideas. Our progress in achieving them has been slow and incomplete and is under threat even in the so-called West, but that progress has been real. That it is fragile and under strain simply makes it all the more important to recommit ourselves to the ideals of the Enlightenment 
and to destroy their enemies. As I was writing the above, a passage from Saul Bellow's novel The Dean's December came back to me. Quote, The dust went off in the sunlight. A dog barked, whined as if a beater had given him a whack, then barked again. The barking of the dog, a protest against the limits of dog experience. For God's sake, open the universe a little more. So Cord felt, being shut in. End quote. In his memoir, Salman Rushdie borrows from Bellow to argue that the words open the universe a little more nicely describe the task of literature. I've written previously that those words also strike me as a concise and beautiful description of what science is meant to do. Now I think that those words also perfectly sum up the task of enlightenment. And now I'm reminded of another Bellow line, this one from his great novel The Adventures of Augie Marsh, that there exists a universal eligibility to be noble. An alternative to Kant's definition of enlightenment, I think, but with much the same connotations. Well then, what is enlightenment? Let's shake off our self-imposed shackles, embrace freedom and reason, push a little at the boundaries of the universe, and try to realise our eligibility to be noble. These are the essential enlightenment tasks, and to struggle to complete them is the central battle of our, of every, time, and the one that always rages, and will always rage, in every single human heart. All right, well, thanks for listening.